0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus.
1: Poor Lord in prayer. Lord, you're gracious to give us this time today. In the chaos of life, we are not always given moments to slow down, and many don't have this gift of peacefully worshiping together like we are now. When you give us these moments, they are a true blessing. And I ask that you will soften our hearts and refresh us and that we will not waste this time of worship or hearing from your word. I ask that you'll be working in our hearts, and that we will not be a passive community of believers, but that we all will be truly hungry for a deep relationship with you, that we would deeply desire to hear your word and to honor you with our lives. You give us everything we need to live a life in relationship with you, So I pray that you would break whatever may be clogging up our hearts or blocking us from desiring you more. When our hearts are blurry eyed with complacency, we ask that you will clear the way and refresh us, move us to action and care for your mission. We thank you that you are ultimately good and that you know what is best. We are so thankful for your love and care and it humbles us to see you work through the hard times that we have. We know that you are greater and more powerful than any challenge that we face. Yet it's within your love and your care to grow us when we face pain, problems, and difficulty. You use these experiences for your own glory and even for our benefit if we don't specifically know how in the moment. Yet you're also gentle with our hearts and you're careful in knitting up our wounds and bringing restoration. So I ask that you'll grow our trust in you with this. So Lord, who would we be if if we knew that the ultimate best thing for us is to serve and to be in relationship with you, but we had no concern for the ones who do not have this relationship. I ask that you'll grow our care for those who do not yet believe. We thank you, Lord, for missionaries like Andrew and Christina Garner who have given up their lives to serving you and sharing your gospel. And we ask, Lord, that you'll provide exactly what they need and bless their ministry and watch over them and help our hearts to be like theirs. Please convict us for the sins that we commit and the sinfulness that we allow to dwell in our hearts and our minds. We ask that you would reveal these to us and that we can repent and turn from them because we know that we can be stubborn people. So we ask that you help us in doing this change our hearts as we are unable to do so. And Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds and we don't even know what the rest of today holds, but I pray that you would grow our faith and that we will grow our trust in you so that we can trust you with the details of our lives. That we would find a true freedom in relationship with you that we don't have when we try to control everything ourselves. And when we trust you like this, we have true joy. So I ask that you will bring us closer to you and reveal your goodness even more so that our hearts are stirred to genuine worship. And I pray that this takes place here and all over the world in churches and different communities. So please speak to us through your word today and through Pastor Paul and prepare our hearts for whatever spiritual warfare that will take place this week and for all of our challenges and for all the times that you make yourself known. We lift this all up to you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for your prayer. Well, we continue this morning in our series on God. How many of you remember the Gumby doll? Yeah, or the Stretch Armstrong doll? This is what that series makes me feel like. We're just being stretched out, and I'm waiting for God to put my body back together. You know, I'm just trying to relate to you. I don't know if you felt that way. Last week when Pastor Mike was preaching on jealousy, that's exactly how I felt. And I was like, please, please stop. You know, I want to go back. and uh, But it's good. It is very good. Well, in church, I don't know if you remember saying this at all. Uh, I know we've said it occasionally throughout the years. But there's this phrase that sometimes is said in church, God is good all the time and all the time. Yeah, at the dinner table, sometimes you have a prayer that says, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this brisket. You don't, (laughs) food, general, got it. Yeah, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, amen. The Psalms, the Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 8 declares, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, you are good and what you do is good. You see, in church, the dinner table, all throughout scripture, we're proclaiming that God is good. I want to ask you this morning, do we really know what we're saying? What do we mean that God is good? I think sometimes we say that phrase when we feel good. Not necessarily that we know God is good. I mean, think about it for a second. If things are going well in your life and you feel good, you're tempted to say, well, God must be good. But if things are bad and rotten, do you say God is good? God is great? Let us thank him? Do you know that God is good all the time when things are going bad? I don't know if you know this to be true, but when I became a Christian, my life didn't get easier. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes you're duped into believing that life will get easier. A matter of fact, it doesn't get easier. There was a period in my life between 16 and about 19 where I came face to face with death. I honestly thought, come to Jesus, life will get easier. The problem, however, as the old saying goes, experience is a hard teacher because it gives the test first and the lesson afterwards. Between 16 and 19, I'd just become a follower of Jesus Christ. Between that age, I stepped back and watched as my 16 year old cousin passed away from melanoma cancer. And then I had a 17 year old cousin who died from a brain aneurysm. And then I had both my grandmothers pass away and both my uncles pass away. And in the midst of that season, I began to ask the question God, are you good? How can you be good? And I don't know if you've ever been to that place where you've just honestly looked up at God and said to him, God, what do you want from me? Because obviously you're taking everything, so what more do you want from me? You see, can you say that God is good when you don't feel so good? You know, when Psalm 119 declares that God is good and he does good things? The reason why it says that is because it separates how we feel and focuses directly on who God is. He is good and he does good things. The reason why God is good and the scriptures declare it is because his character is good and his actions are good. Look at the first section there of Psalm 119, verse 68. It says, You are good. Meaning, at his core, God is not evil. He is good. He is morally perfect, always upright. His thoughts are benefit thoughts. They're not evil thoughts. You see, sometimes I have good thoughts, and sometimes I have bad thoughts. God doesn't have that problem. God's thoughts are always good. There was this time where a man shows up with Jesus, and it says when he saw Jesus, he fell down to his knees, and this is what he says to Jesus. He calls Jesus good teacher, and then he asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of hits a pause button there and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In saying this, Jesus was not suggesting that he wasn't good. He was and he is. No, Jesus answered this way because he knew how much the human concept of goodness had been misused and it needed an upgrade. You need to see that God is good. Jesus says this, by the way, in the midst of a cruel and corrupt government, in the midst of sadness and sorrow and suffering, Jesus is not disillusioned or delirious in this statement. He is simply drawing out the truth that at God's core, his character, he is in fact good. Think about Job for a second. Many of you know or are familiar with the story of Job. Job is found in the Old Testament. But yet Job is this man whom God allows the devil to test his faith. And in testing Job's faith in God, there are these tragic events that occur. Job loses his family. He loses his friends. He loses his property, his place in society. Once a man who sat in a place of honor, we find in Job chapter 1 and 2, he is now reduced to a heap of trash sitting amongst the garbage. And yet in the midst of that transition in his life from what we would call good to worse or good to bad, Job declares emphatically, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord take away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You see, in the midst of this season of sadness and sorrow and suffering for Job, he doesn't realize the devil's behind it all. No, Job knows that the core of God is good. And so he said, should we not accept good from God in trouble? Meaning, I know God's going to work all this out for my benefit. I trust in God. Why? Because his character is good. His nature is good. Hear this this morning if you're in the midst of one of those seasons. I want you to listen to this. The devil was behind Job's pain, but the devil could not get behind his praise. The problem sometimes when we're in the midst of suffering is we don't realize that it is Satan in the midst of our lives working to destroy us. And because he can't destroy us because there's a good God behind us, he will often try to distract you. And what does he want to distract you? He wants you to believe that God is somehow bad. And he wants you to think that God somehow is evil and he's against you. And all the while, remember the words of Job, should we not accept good from God and not trouble? And saying that, you are declaring that God at his character, at his core, is in fact good. But let me ask you this question. How do you know and see the character of God? You see it on display by his actions. His actions. His actions. The second part of Psalm 119 declares what? You do good things. It's not that you just, you are good. God, you do good things. Meaning God is constantly working for your benefit and for my benefit. And how do we know this? We know this by looking at what God does. And so I want to call us to go back to the beginning, the very beginning, back to Genesis, where we discover that there is a good God doing good things In Genesis chapter 1, what do you discover? God is good, and he does good through his creation. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, God repeatedly looks at his creation, and he says this phrase, or it says, and God saw that it was good. Six separate occasions you're going to see that phrase being used. God saw the light and it was good in chapter 1 of verse 4 of Genesis. When speaking about the land, it says, and God saw that it was good in verse 10. And when mentioning the plants and vegetation, God saw that it was good. The separation of night and day, what does it conclude with? And God saw that it was good. The creation of all the sea creatures ends by declaring that God saw that it was good. And finally, that God creates the wildlife And the text ends with the resounding, and God saw that it was good. By the very end of Genesis chapter 1, it declares openly that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You see, God does good. Most of us have grown dull to the wonder, to the beauty, and the bounty of all that God has done in his creation. We pass by it every day. I woke up this morning and I opened up my front door and I was listening to the birds chirping and I saw the frost in the ground and the sun was rising and the, uh, the flowers are blossoming in our garden. And there's an instant in all of our lives where we just walk past those things and we don't realize the snow geese that are on the hills and we don't realize the birds that are you know, in the air. All this is from God who has given us this place to live in, we call creation. Do you, know what, do you know what really bothers God? My wife watches one channel on TV. Do you want to know what it is? It's the Weather Channel. I don't understand it. We pay for cable. I'm not going to tell you how much we pay, but we pay for cable. So she can watch the Weather Channel. There's got to be another way. Email me if you know there's another way. Watch, I watch, I, I mean, I watch, this afternoon, I'm going to watch one channel. It'll be the Big Ten Network, because at 4.30, the Big Ten Championships are on. Amen? Anybody else watching? Not a wrestling community. One guy. All right, there we go, you know. <laughs> one person. You know, so I'm using cable for one hour a year, okay? She watches the Weather Channel. You know what drives me crazy when watching the Weather Channel? I think this bothers God. Is when those meteorologists constantly keep giving credit to Mother Nature, Who is she? Does she pay taxes? I want to know. What did she do? She didn't create the sunset. No man engineered it. God did. And he watches it come up every day and set every night. And God should get the credit for that. He thought of it. He envisioned it. Think about it for a second. If this place we lived in was any closer to the sun, we'd all melt. If we were any further away, we'd freeze. God set this place into motion. He created it. He should get the credit. God is good through his creation. But he's also good through his provision. Through his provision. In Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, God centers his attention on humanity. And he begins to dish out all these provisions. He says, I'm going to provide for you my image. I'm going to create you in my likeness. I love that word. And then he says, I'm going to give you a blessing. So he starts giving them blessings in verse 28. And then verses 28 to 30, what does God do? He starts giving them food. He says, I'm going to create you in my image, my likeness. I'm going to give you blessing, and I'm going to give you bounty. And we get to enjoy all those things still to this day. Why? Because God created it through providing for us. And yet at the end of all that provision, God isn't done. Because in the Genesis 1 through 3 account, what do you learn? God left left something intentionally out in his creation. Yeah, everything was good, but God is an examiner, He is an evaluator. He also wants to draw our attention. So in chapter 2, verse 18, what does it say? It is not good. That grabs your attention. Everything has been good up until this point. Now God's suddenly saying something's not good. Why does he say something's not good? Because God wants us to see that he is a good God who provides good things. And so he's constantly trying to provide for you and I. And so he says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God knows what is good and he does good. And as a result, God knows what is best for you and for me. Our inability to see the good in God sets the stage for what happens in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, there is a rebellion against God. And do you know what is at the heart of this rebellion? It is the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 1 through 3 God is the only one who knows the difference between good and evil and he's got it locked away in this tree he calls the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he doesn't plan on sharing that with anybody he tells Adam and Eve don't look at the tree don't go near the tree don't eat from the tree it's there it exists you don't need to know about it and the reality is is that they are tempted It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and the woman saw, pay attention to this, and the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and able to make one wise. In Genesis chapter 1, what did you see happening? You saw that God saw things and declared them to be good. Now suddenly, humanity thinks it can see things and determine if it's good. The problem with us is we were never meant to look for good. Or evil, we were always meant to look for God. We were always meant to keep our eyes fixed on God. And yet now humanity has chosen to look elsewhere. Do you know, as humans, our wisdom is limited. We think we can see good, we think we know what is best, we think we can determine for ourselves what is beneficial. We cannot. We cannot without God. The work that is happening in Genesis chapter 3 for what humanity does in this rebellion against God is a work of fools, John Sailhammer says. And so this sets the stage for the third thing that we see that God does is good. God not only creates, God not only provides, God redeems. God is good and does good through his redemption in Genesis 3 the serpent offers Adam and Eve fruit from this tree and in their hunger and their appetite they are promised that they will be like God the serpent says that's kind of ironic because God has already created them like him he created them in his likeness in his image and yet the serpent comes by and tricks them and says listen I'm going to deceive your eyes by telling what their eyes that their eyes will be open to see good and evil and then they fall for this trick This is all the backdrop of the fact that human beings are supposed to taste and see that the Lord is good, not anything else. But scripture tells us that the woman saw that the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and once they ate, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and so they hid. And this is the first great rebellion against a good God. And let me tell you, there is a lot of things that happens in this little scenario. First, sin enters the world. And you know what sin does? It separates us from God and from one another. And so what do you see as a result of this sin? Is that the human beings that were created like God, no longer like God. They no longer enjoy him. Matter of fact, what does it tell us? They hide from him. God comes walking into the garden in Genesis 3, what, to enjoy humanity and to be with him, and they're hiding from God. They no longer like him. They no longer enjoy his presence. And then they no longer like each other. I mean, if you ever look at your spouse and you go, why don't you like me? It goes back to this. Because what happens? They realize they're naked. That's the idea that they're no longer like each other. And so they sew up fig trees, hiding from God and hiding from one another. Never meant to be like that. And yet, God, in the midst of all of this sin, what do you see a good God doing? A good God enters into this place with a plan to redeem mankind, to restore that relationship. I want you to see something. God knows good and evil, and yet God does not hide. God knows Adam and Eve have sinned, and yet he does not stop looking and liking and loving Adam and Eve. And so he is willing to die for them. In Genesis 3.15, this is what it writes. I will put enmity, that is space, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. God is talking to the serpent, and he's saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come, and I'm going to crush your head. But what does it say? And you will strike his heel. God does good because he redeems humanity from its sin. God planned that Eve will have an offspring and that offspring will come in the person of Jesus Christ and he will crush sin and death and Satan. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ will die on a cross as a result of our sin. And when he's hanging on the cross, he is redeeming us back to a good God. I want you to see this, that God does not hide from evil here. Everyone, including Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, are trying to hide from evil. In your own life, we hide from evil. When it gets too much on the TV, we turn the TV off. When the news gets too much, we shut the news off or we put the paper down. And we say, we can't read this anymore. It makes us sick in our stomachs. And yet God does not shy away from evil or good. He enters into that space. Why? Because God does good by redeeming us. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul in verses 28 to 32 declares openly how awesome and good God is. This is what he says. And we know that in all things, all things in this context are all the good things and all the bad things. God takes all things. And what does it say? God works for good. He does good in the midst of your bad seasons. What does it say? Look at the text. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For God foreknew, that means he planned, he knew that he was going to send his son to the cross and he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And it goes on. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And And so what shall we say in response to all that God does that is good? Well, this is what Paul says. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? You have to see that God is good because he enters into the time and the space where evil exists. And listen to this. While he's doing that, he is for us. In the midst of evil, in the midst of sadness and sorrow and suffering, we are often tempted to look at God and say, what more do you want from me? And yet if you know that at the core of God's character, at the core of his action, God is good and he does good, you no longer ask the question, what do you want from me? You start asking the question, God, what do you want for me? What do you want from me? You know what God wants for you? He wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He is a good God and he does good things because he has come to save you. The problem in the world that we live in is we have the Santa Claus version of God. We think God is good all the time and all the time that God is good because he gives us stuff and that's how we've wrapped God up. We said, God, you're good because you give us cars, and you give us houses, and you give us jobs, and you give us a pad and a palace. We think God is good because he gives us health care. And we think God is good because we get to go to the dentist, and we don't have any cavities. The other day, I had, I had cavities. That's why I bring it up. I've never had a cavity. And then I go at 36, and I have two. It's humiliating. My dad is in this service, and it's embarrassing for me to even say that, given our genetic background as Germans. I mean, we're supposed to have really strong teeth. Now he's probably gonna disassociate from me and cut me out of the will. (laughs) I told my kids I had two cavities, and they said, you're getting old. Made me feel awful. (laughs) Kids do not hold back, by the way. That was my five-year-old. I won't tell you her name, but you know, she said, you must be getting old. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you Bob for telling me I'm getting old. Appreciate it. In our world today, we have some kind somehow reduced the goodness of God to things that moth and rust can destroy. Moth and rust are going to destroy it. This body is going to decay and it's going to fall apart. God is not good because my body stays fit or I have a home. God is good because he has come to redeem us to save us from our sin. That is why God is good. It's why Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. He didn't say pray for stuff. He said, no, pray that we would be delivered from this evil. And so how do we respond appropriately to the goodness of God? I think when we talk about God being good, there's usually two audiences that show up. The first audience, there are those who believe that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and they don't doubt that. There's a second audience that really struggles with the goodness of God, and you wrestle with it, and you say, I'm not quite sure I believe that God is good all the time. I want to talk to this second group for for a moment. I want you to hear something this morning. I agree with you that evil does exist. And I agree with you that God allows it. But hear this. God does not exempt himself from evil. God, matter of fact, according to the scriptures, does not say that we suffer and he doesn't. Matter of fact, what do you see a good God doing? He enters into the suffering. To rescue us from it. It says in Galatians 1-4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to what? The will of God the Father, meaning that God has willed it, that he sent his son into evilness to rescue us. God doesn't hide from it. He doesn't exempt himself from it. He enters into it according to his will. And the second thing I would say is this. God enters into it, and he enters into your life, into my life, so that we will then enter into an evil world. See, what do you say to people that are wrestling with the goodness of God? You say, first, God does not exempt himself from it, but secondly, genuine Christians do make the world a better place. They make the world a better place. When you and I know that there is a good God and he does good things, and as a result, we can do good things. We make the world a better place. Years ago, I was in my office, and a police officer came to my office and sat down and said, I wanna talk to you. I said, that's fine. She said, I wanna tell you something that happened. I said, okay. She said, recently there was a call, and I was one of the first ones on the scene, and I ran into the house, and what I saw was a man wielding a knife toward his wife and his children. And she looked me in the eyes, and she said, how could a good God allow that to happen? I said, what did you do? She said, the only thing that I thought I could do at the moment was to grab the mother." and her two children and allow him to slash my back and not them. Friends, I tell you this story because a good God sends his Christians, his people, into bad and evil situations to do good. My response to her was I believe that God was there and he sent you to rescue that mother in those children. We cannot exempt ourselves from the evil of this world. God is good and he does not exempt himself and he does not expect that we as his followers would exempt ourselves from this world but that we because of our salvation in Jesus Christ would enter into evil places and spaces to do good. And so now I want to talk to the second group Those of you this morning that believe that God is good all the time and all the time that God is good. What do you do? How do you respond? There's four responses and I'm gonna fly through these quicker than a plane lands. I don't even know if that illustration works but all the time I just felt in my mind I just said it and it probably was not a good thing to say anyway. To those of you that believe that God is good, I say this to you. I ask you, do you know the difference between good and evil? If you believe that God is good, do you know the difference between good and evil? In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it calls us to know the difference if we believe that God is good. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know you distinguish good from evil is when you know the word of God and when you know the word of God you can tell that the word of God tells you what is good and it tells you what is evil the problem is is we have an entire world right now an entire worldview that is wrestling with whether or not something is good or evil particularly the next generation because they are not rooted in the word of God They're being taught that life doesn't matter, and life is cheap, so abortion is always an option. They're being taught that the image of God doesn't matter, that them being created in the image of God doesn't matter. So what? They're confused about their gender. They're being taught that there is no place, whether school or work or church, that is safe, and so anxiety has been off the charts. They're being taught that the family doesn't matter, and so they walk away from mother and father We live in a world right now where we have loads of people that have no idea who they are, what they are supposed to do, or when they are supposed to do it. They have lost sight of their identity, their destiny, and their purpose. Do you know the difference between good and evil? Secondly, are you grateful for God's goodness? James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you know where your good gifts come from? They don't come from Amazon, and they don't come from Mother Nature. They come from a good God who gives good gifts, and the good gift that God has given has not come from Amazon or Mother Nature. It has come from His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save us, to reconcile us to himself and so are you grateful for the goodness that God has created a couple of years ago there was this woman I don't even know who she is so she might be here this morning so she drove she this she told us this story so this is what I'm going to tell you to you it what preachers do you tell us things we tell the people you know <laughs> just publicly she said she was driving down Peach Bottom Road, and she said the traffic was so bad to get into the church that morning that she was literally up by the, where the old school used to be, up there by the, by the graveyard, and she, it took literally, because the traffic was so bad that it took 10 minutes to get into church. And she said she was sitting in her car yelling and mad and upset, like, this is ridiculous. Why does it take so long to get into church, and I can't find a parking space? You ever felt like that? Amen. I get here at seven, so I don't have that problem. But anyway, <laughs> she said, Suddenly, it was as if the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of her heart and said, Aren't you grateful that you can't get into church this morning? Aren't you grateful that God is doing a work amongst his people? Aren't you grateful that God is trying to save people? It's not just do you know the difference between good and evil, but are you grateful? to know the difference between good and evil. And that there are others who are hungry for that. Thirdly, I ask you this question. Do you imitate God's goodness? In 3 John 11, it says, Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil is not from God. Imitation has the idea that we behave in the same manner as someone else. So do you imitate God in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, whether at home or whether at work? When people look at your life, do they know that you represent a good God? Or if they look at your life, they would say, Obviously, their person's God is not good. Do you know the difference between good and evil? Do you rejoice or are you grateful for the difference of good and evil? And do you imitate the difference of good and evil in the way that you choose to represent a good God on this earth? And then fourthly, fourthly, will you teach God's goodness? Let me ask a question. Do we have any old ladies here this morning? (laughs) Raise your hand if you're an old lady. Everybody needs a church grandma. Don't be upset about it. Do you know what scripture tells the old ladies? This is what it says. You can't run away from this. Titus 2, 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Old church ladies. Ladies. You are to know the difference between good and evil. You are to be grateful for the goodness of God. You are to imitate that in what you do and what you say and what you think. But you are to teach it. You are to teach it. You are to teach it. Okay? You are to teach it to the next generation so that they would know that the character of God is good and the actions of God are good. You are to teach it. Listen, God is good all the time. And all the time he is good. When you and I know that he is good, when you and I are grateful that he is good, when you and I imitate his goodness in our lives, but he is most good when we tell others and teach them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we have the privilege to stand in your presence and to worship you. I thank you, Father, that in a moment we're gonna sing about your goodness. And Father, we have that privilege, but there are some of us this morning that are wrestling greatly. We wrestle and we're not sure We've got pain in our life. Father, would you help bring your spirit to speak to our spirit and to restore in us what sometimes the locust has eaten away, what sometimes the devil has come in and distracted us with, that we have a pure heart would be able to praise you. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.